it's critical for me and my product teams, uh, my engineering teams to be very open-minded. I wanna always be getting new information and making new decisions about what makes the most sense to do next. Uh, and that changes, and I don't always know what that's gonna be, but I know that I remain uh, nimble enough uh, to adapt to that new information. Uh, there are products out there that act as safeguards of the CRM data. So hey, the lead is gonna go into our system, we're gonna nurture the lead, and then when we feel the lead is ready to move on, we will put it into your CRM, right? That is one philosophical approach that works for some people. Uh, we don't think that's the right way to do it at Nurture Boss. We believe there should be a system of truth, not multiple systems of truth. Uh, investors are just some of the biggest FOMO or fear of missing out, right? The biggest FOMO groups of people in the world. And if there's a trend and there's a buzz, they're gonna put money into it. And right now that is AI. So we will see money invested in it. I do not think that is a good indicator that that's what the future is going to be. Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. Yeah. Reed just uh, <laughs> did his clap to sync up for our producer on the back end. Darren I, do is that. I never get to do that. No, yeah. I wanted to do the clap until you until you get us the, the movie thing, you know, yeah, the movie yeah. prop. Well, you were uh, maybe 45 minutes in this interview before you decided to call out your, your nails. So... Um, I, well, I, 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 I think it was deliberate that I kept my hands underneath the table most of the cast. I told you when we walked out to get lunch today, I was putting my hands in my pockets because yeah. I, it's just, I mean, really hard for me uh, to look down and see pink nail polish. Um, but yeah, uh, my girls had their birthday party this weekend. We went and took them to see uh, Barbie and everybody else, you know, was putting on pink little skirts and white tops. And I just should qualify this. Uh, very st strong women here. They were going for the positive, you know, feminist message. You know, um, they are not Barbie lovers, but they couldn't wait to see the movie, which I was trying to get settled with. I was like, why are you guys so excited? Because I also knew that they probably didn't get the depth um, or what they were probably walking into. Mm. Um, you know, because I had read about it in advance. So I was like, there's going to be some pretty uh, heavy messages in this. Um, but I was, I still loved it. And I was like, how do I play along? You know, and um, so I volunteered to Ella. I was like, hey, we've done this once before. I think it was for Halloween. But I was like, mm -hmm. if you want to do my nails, you know, give it, a, give it a go. And she was like, say no more. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think within 30 seconds, she was like, I have a vision. <laughs> and so uh, Jacob caught it, you know, where, you know, I'll show. But there's an accent. Uh, the fourth finger there has mm -hmm. the light pink. Um, and then I even got my my shirt on. Uh, yeah. Every day is uh, something like this is the best day. This ever. is the best day ever. Yeah. So they they were happy. Dad checked that box, and then they were like, "You cannot take that off until Tuesday," because like, they know that the company roundups on Monday. They're excited to to see all the podcast shorts that come out, <laughs> like featuring your nails. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We'll uh, sell the merchandise here. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, today we have uh, Jacob from Nurture Boss on, who um, he says that they've been in business for just over three years. Um, and man, what a breath of fresh air for, as you were just saying off air where yeah, um, he was an engineer by trade, but can speak so, so well and have such great command, uh, which, you know, is not what engineers are typically known for. And then I love that he even has like such great takes on the industry and seems to absorb so much. I mean, he did say a significant other has been in the industry 10 years. So I guess there's gotta be some, you know, osmosis that he's picked up, mm -hmm. picked up there, but, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I just really enjoyed the conversation. Kind of, he's one of those where you can't wait to talk to again and get deeper on it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I thought he handled some of those uh, air quote tougher questions extremely well, as far as you know, lead nurturing and automation not being new. So how is it that this you know got got a VC or is getting the market mm-hmm. excited? Um, you know what those distinctions look like. He also covered some of the you know uh, basics, and I think he put it flavors of AI, um, as well as like what what kind of moat they're really forming, which to me would, would be no picnic, you know, with, with a, you know, kind of a nurture product. So I was impressed by that as well, but yeah, I don't know what the fastest path would be now to be a founder or CEO. Would it be, you know, an engineer that has good communication skills? I think about Zach Sloan, who we just had on mm-hmm. you know, with Rent Grata and he's coming from financial, but has great communication skills. Or is it two guys like us, you know, that are really good with ideas and, and know how to move the needle, but don't have any of the technical or accounting background. Now we're becoming uh, replaceable. Yeah, I, no I was trying to share that just as I said that. I was like, <laughs> I think we're the odd man out here. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is catching up, and yeah. now all of a sudden, uh-huh. you know, it's like, oh damn, work. these engineers can talk now. <laughs> so can these accountants. We're in yeah. deep shit. Oh man. Yeah. Well, we better get out while the getting's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We are up for sale. Yeah. yeah. Well, anything else uh, that really surprised you during the episode? Um, it wasn't, uh, well, I guess I'll call it a pleasant surprise, but, uh, you'll definitely have to hear it, um, from, from Jacob, but his hot take related to marketers and operators and how he's thinking about it was absolutely beautiful. So, mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed hearing that. And then I think, you know, the, uh, fully aware, um, element for me was one of the coolest things I wanted to go deeper on that, but we had so many other things that we talked about, but that, that portion of it, I think he was talking about the connection to offline and online so that there isn't some weird kind of message or disconnect between what a leasing agent might be talking about with a prospect. And then if somehow it gets, you know, sent back into not the ether, but online, you wouldn't want there to be a weird hiccup. I think his examples with dogs where it's like, you never answered my question about dogs right. um, and the the leasing agent doesn't know or vice versa. So I thought that was a, a super cool kind of um, little differentiator that they seem to have in their product. Yeah, specifically, it's like if the leasing agent just recently was on a phone call or had an email with the uh, with the prospect, then it's not going to go ahead and, you know, jump in and say, hey, how about you come and lease, you know, lease up now or tour now because it could, you know, be a, yeah, just get a mixed mixed message or feel um, intrusive, I guess, um, yada, yada. So I thought that was interesting. It also struck me, you know, how many of these, uh, how many folks are trying to solve this problem now and how fragmented the space is. Cause as he mentioned, all of the other competitors, whether it's like a perk or even a media lease or whoever highly, they, um, they're all handling this. I'll say the front end nur- lead nurturing thing too. But then he talked about how much they were also handling current residents and a lot of that communication. And so, you know, should it be a world where you have a front end lead nurture system versus a, a renewal system? But then, you know, how far afield is it to say, well, now do you want a different system when it comes to maintenance, if they're going to automate a lot of that? Um, so even though he says he, they're, they've been very focused on this, uh, on the niche of nurturing specifically, I could see how, you know, a property management company doesn't want to have three different AIs. And then if you do have three different, you know, AIs or automated systems, they need to be aware, right? Because if you're, if you have nurture boss saying, Hey, do you want to go ahead and, and uh, renew now six months in advance, as he brought up, then do you want the, uh, the maintenance system to not be aware of that? Or it should also be aware and say, you know, uh, 
you know, whatever, be, be cognizant of it. So it just seems to me like at some point this, even though it's very fragmented now because they're solving a lot of issues with communication at some point, they've got to start to all come back together. Yeah. hundred percent. I thought it was a great question. I wanted to go there just kind of what that split looks like, but I agree with you that it could quickly go beyond that, but that's also what they're trying to, to kind of fight. Um, so we have some somewhat of a similar dilemma, right? It's like, how do we define focus? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we feel like we're focused, but there's also all these like very quickly forming adjacent opportunities mm-hmm. that are so hard to resist. Um, and that's that's also critical for product development. You have to pursue some of those. Mm-hmm. So that'll be an interesting challenge for them. Cool. I also, last thing, I... Uh, thought it was great to hear that they're doing some of the sister property like kind of nurturing where uh, one prospect may be out of luck because there's no more studios available and they'll actually refer you to um, if it's the same owner or another property. I think that's great. Um, I think there's a lot further you can go with that. And we didn't get into like, how long do you hold on to somebody? So what if they're no longer in that ownership group or that set of uh, properties? Are you still able to leverage that as you're just kind of building up a broader general database of renters that you could then serve up thinking about our EL90? Like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, some, some follow-ups that I'd love to have with them. Uh, really interesting stuff. Well, um, we enjoyed this conversation with Jacob, so I'm sure you guys will too. So yeah, stay tuned. Yep. Okay. We're here with Jacob Carter. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. All right, Jacob. So you are founder uh, of Nurture Boss. Why don't you give us a, a little bit of your background and the elevator pitch for Nurture Boss? Yeah, no, I'd love to. So uh, I'll start with the the elevator pitch for Nurture Boss because I got it down to like five seconds. So we uh, automate as much prospect follow up and, and resonant communication as possible, and it's as simple as that. Uh, it of course is much more complicated, and I'm sure we'll dive into it. Um, but uh, in terms of kind of setting the foundation for for what we do, I think that does a, a great job. Uh, my background, I'm a software engineer, so I've been writing code my whole professional uh, life. Uh, and I'm also uh, formally, uh, for a lot of years, an apartment renter. Uh, and, you know, most of my career uh, in the software side has been in the B2B uh, MarTech or marketing technology space. So I've worked at companies whose product was a CRM. Uh, I've worked at companies whose product was kind of a top of funnel uh, lead augmentation uh, suite and filtration system, if you will. So I've been a marketing nerd my whole professional career, in addition with just a, a standard uh, nerd because I'm a, a software engineer too. Uh, and that's that's really my background. And those two things of being a, a renter and, and being a software guy uh, were a really great marriage to to birth Nurture Boss, if you will. Feels so, like a preordained destiny there, you know. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> being a renter and engineer and all the other stuff they worked on, of course, you had to start this company. Yeah. I think there yeah, was more to that preordained aspect, uh, which why don't you get into real quick, Jacob? How did you get pulled into the orbit of multifamily? Because you weren't an engineer on the multifamily front. No, no. Um, yeah, definitely I had no experience in uh, commercial real estate, multifamily, residential real estate, anything uh, of that sort. Um, but like I said, I've been a renter, uh, for much of my uh, adult life and my significant other has been in multifamily for about a decade. So I come home and I listen to all of these, uh, complaints, right. And, uh, things that go well, don't go well. And then I have my own experience, uh, of trying to rent an apartment. Uh, and you know, I remember frequently thinking to myself, I'm trying to sign up to give you tens of thousands of dollars a year. And I can't get a return phone call. This seems ridiculous, right? Or uh, I'm already a resident living there 
and I'm, you know, feel like I've built relationships with people that work at the property, at the community, but I'm just getting these messages and emails that make me think they've never heard of me before. So this disconnected experience was really frustrating for me. And since I'm a software engineer, I think I can solve all problems with technology, uh, often to my detriment, sometimes uh, to a success. So I started playing around with this idea of, I think I can build something that will fix this problem. And I was able to, with bubble gum and, and duct tape, create this kind of uh, MVP of a, of a product and try it out at a few apartment complexes uh, locally in Arizona, where I'm from. Uh, and within a few days, uh, the community managers came back and said, hey, I've signed several leases because of this thing. Uh, I'd love to use it at other properties. And you know, the way multifamily works, those properties have owners. Those owners see the results. They're like, oh, I want to put this at these other properties I have in California. And you blink and you're at 30 properties across three states and a company that you weren't even sure you were going to start a week ago, you know, um, and it was like, All right, I think I have something here and really just doubled down and, and continued to iterate until, you know, we got to where we're at today. Uh, so uh, let's put a timestamp on that. When did you first I know, start working on it? And when did you get your first, you know, let's say trial account? Yeah. So hear this for timing, January of 2020, right? I thought I'm going to start a business. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's when I got into it. Uh, and then of course, by March, uh, the world had changed. Now, uh, nobody's trying to uh, find the silver lining of COVID, I don't think. But that being said, it did accelerate this adoption uh, of technology across many industries, multifamily included. Uh, and I do think that created uh, some opportunity for folks like myself, NurtureBoss and, and similar companies um, so started building out the product uh, in January, uh, had that kind of MVP uh, beta test going uh, by March and had my first uh, paying customer in May of 2020. That's incredible. Uh, and of course, um, you did it as a man of one, so you don't need another, more more of a team, right? Because you solved it's all your It's still just problems, me man. here, guys. It's still, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thankfully, uh, we were able to grow the company and you know we have a great team of sales individuals of, of customer success representatives of, of engineers, you know, administrative, uh, and, uh, I'd be, uh, you know, bald by now, uh, if, if we didn't, that's for sure. Well, let me, um, hit one more thing before I know Reed wants to get into specifics of, of, um, uh, what you guys solve, but, um, this, this just came up even in today's, we had our, um, Opcom meeting. That's our executive team meeting. And the question that Reed and I always have, since we don't know how to write code about Reed can actually write more code now than I can. I, I could like bold something in HTML. Where's, the, mic, as, where's the clap? The uh, pause. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so it, if it's not bolding it in HTML, that's about as far as I go, but sure. Um, and italics, I can do italics and underline. Look at that. I got formatting down. Mark down. Yeah. Yeah. Marked. yeah. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, we struggle to say how many people should we really have supporting this thing? Um, so I'm just wondering like one, where, where would you say your product is a great fit for today versus let's say six months or a year for what's the vision? And then two, let, what do you think you need to really support, let's say today versus like that vision? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So if I'm understanding your, your question right, really what you're asking is like, who is our ICP? Like, who is the ideal profile of the individual that gets value from our product? And, you know, when we started, um, we believed that it was uh, class A properties that had maybe 200 or more units. And I think that was accurate. But we've learned a lot since then. And we've, uh, you know, expanded this um, criteria quite a bit. Um, you know, just to give you a, a quick example, 
if you have a 700 unit property, um, you know, they may be staffed pretty well, but when you have 700 units, you're busy. I don't care how well staffed you are. There's plenty to do. And if you can bring in a tool that leverages uh, automation, leverages uh, AI, uh, expedites workflows, that obviously provides a ton of value. So of course, when you have that, uh, you know, 12 unit property with one person, your product doesn't make sense. But it turns out when you have uh, one person overseeing 12 units, they probably oversee another 12 units somewhere else and another 12 units somewhere else. You have one person over three small properties and all of a sudden they have the exact same problems that the 700 unit property has, right? So as we've gotten more in the weeds and we've learned more about our customer, more about the industry, we've realized that really there are very few scenarios in which a product like Nurture Boss uh, doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, it should work and behave slightly differently at these different properties, solving slightly different pain points. But the ability to uh, reduce the amount of manual tasks and create a better experience for prospective renters and residents uh, seems to, to make sense quite a bit uh, across the board. Uh, now, in terms of, of where are we going, where are we headed, um, that's a hard question to answer. I think a good business could have a, a roadmap two years out. Uh, but the reality of this ever-changing landscape in technology of multifamily is uh, it's critical for me and my product teams, uh, my engineering teams to be very open-minded. I want to always be getting new information and making new decisions about what makes the most sense to do next. Uh, and that changes. And I don't always know what that's going to be, but I know that I remain uh, nimble enough uh, to adapt to that new information and make sure we keep building products and features uh, that do a great job at solving those those issues. That nice way to handle uh, the vision thing, and I, uh, on the, for the most part, um, I can buy into it. But if you were to then say, um, it sounds like you said prospects and residents, which is great. But what, where would then it not be a good fit today? Uh, meaning, like, when would you have a sales call and say, "Hey, prospect, you know, you know, that's not really what we're tackling right now," or you know, like maybe later? Yeah, good question. So the easy answer to that is we don't, because uh, I don't think anybody integrates with everybody. You know what I mean? So there are uh, platforms that we aren't currently integrated with. Uh, we're frequently able to find workarounds for that. But I've learned the hard way and our customers have learned the hard way that that's not always the smartest thing to do. So if I'm having a conversation uh, with a prospect that's leveraging a piece of technology that we don't have a robust integration with, that's a great opportunity to say, listen, I think there's a big opportunity here for us to provide value for you. Let us get to work on this integration. Let me come back to you in 60 days and let's restart this conversation uh, because I, you know, we want to, from day one, be providing a ton of value for you, your onsite teams, your marketers, your operation leaders. Uh, so let us get to a spot where we're going to do that and let's you know, start this conversation again. Uh, I think that's a, a really good example of of when you might kind of put the brakes on a sales call, if you will. Yeah, that's not saying no, though. You're you're just like delaying. It's like we don't have. I don't know. Yeah, I, I see that you want the no, so I'm going to give it to you here. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate the uh, persistence. So I think an example of of maybe where we're going to say no is, um, you know, we've had folks that say have uh, single family rentals. Uh, and these single family rentals, the way that they're set up within the systems is that each home is a property in the world of, of, of multifamily. Sometimes you get built to rent communities where every home is a unit and that matches our model. If you have a single family rental uh, community or scattered homes across a city or multiple states, 
and they're set up in a way where they're each considered their own property, that's going to be a hard no for us. Uh, we can't provide value for you there. It's not the way that uh, our system is set up. Uh, maybe you have a senior living that's a higher level of care. So it's not an independent living. It's more of an assisted uh, nursing home or something like that. We get folks that are interested in leveraging our product in that situation. Um, and that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. If I, uh, you know, if my mother is in an assisted living and I uh, send a message and an AI bot answers me back, that's not what I want. I want to talk to the person that's taking care of my mom. Uh, and I want to know if he ate her dinner that night, right? So um, there are, are situations like that where uh, it would just be a hard no on our end. Yeah, well, that's helpful, and I appreciate it. And I think the right answer back to your nimbleness thing, like I understand it. Like even if you're not connected to whatever, I'll, I'll just say Appfolio because so few are, then it's more of like, hey, for one single property, this probably doesn't make sense because of, um, you know, we're even charged from the like for the API connection. But, you know, let's, uh, we'd love to work with you. And if we could get 10 properties together, then, you know, this, this might make a lot of sense for us to ro uh, roll out a pilot. Yeah. We were in a very similar spot. And I, I'd even say maybe even now, I mean, we've made the major connections that we need, but if we had someone that came to us and I'll just stick with that folio, they'd be like, we have these workarounds to your point, but if you want us to do the direct connect, um, let's just show you what we're looking at from our side and then figure out how to make this work. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to back things up and for the benefit of our listeners, I think everybody understands the word lead nurturing, but if you could just distill that down, just the basics of that and maybe cover a off a little bit on the underlying technology, maybe the easiest way to set this up, Jacob, would be uh, actually speaking from the viewpoint of a resident. So, you know, what would that look like if I first, you know, well, I don't even want to start there. I'm going to let you do it. But yeah, just yeah. talk us through a typical experience with, with lead nurturing and then some of the technology that, that feeds into it. Yeah, let's do it. So um, I think it's it's helpful to talk about what it looks like without lead nurturing uh, very briefly because it helps highlight where lead nurturing provides a lot of value. And we can start even all the way back on the, the prospect side before we get to the resident side. So, you know, I'm looking to move into uh, a new apartment and I search apartments in my zip code. Uh, I end up on apartments.com or zumper.com or a property website. Uh, but one way or another, I am going to enter in my information is uh, being interested. I could call, I could fill a form out. And what that means is I'm now in the property system, right, as a prospective renter. Now, the property uh, on-site team is going to make a few efforts to reach out and get a tour scheduled. Uh, we have found on average that's two to three efforts or uh, follow-ups that occur. If no tour is scheduled uh, in that time, that lead is typically marked as lost. Hey, we can't convert this person into a resident. We're going to stop spending time on them. Let's say a tour is scheduled. I'll show up for an in-person uh, or maybe I'll do a virtual or self-guided tour. Um, once that tour occurs, there's more follow-up that, that happens. Hey, submit an application, right? Let's get your information in here. Let's start the process of getting a lease signed. I may follow up two or three times to get that application submitted, at which point uh, if I can't make progress, I'll mark that lead as lost and say, hey, we couldn't convert them into a resident. And, uh, you know, if I do get the application submitted, we can get a lease signed and, and get into the resident journey, which we'll, we'll touch on in a bit here. So where lead nurture comes in is not only are we going to right away take those two to three follow-ups all the way up to eight to 12 follow-ups without asking the on-site team to, to do any extra work and, in fact, give them some of their time back. But we're going to go out of our way to make sure those follow-ups are really targeted or, as we say at Nurture Boss, hyper-personalized for that prospective renter. So let's say I know that Reed wants to move in on September 15th uh, into a two-bedroom and he's got a dog. 
Well, when our system sends an automated follow-up to read, we're going to talk about the bark part. I'm going to insert a picture of the pet wash station. I'm going to highlight uh, information around the pet policy. I'm going to check the availability and pull out a two-bedroom floor plan, uh, show a picture of it that I know is available on September 15th, right? So I don't want to waste Reed's time with a generic uh, templated message. I want to show Reed stuff that he specifically cares about that's going to help drive him to make a purchase decision, right? And I'm going to do this consistently uh, over a period of weeks, not a couple of days, until I can ultimately get that engagement and conversion or if I can't, I know it wasn't for a lack of trying or, or doing a great job with my messaging and my follow-up. I don't know how in the weeds we want to get here, but there's a lot more that goes to that. Do, you know, do, do, Does this prospect want to email or do they want to text, right? And being able to identify that preferred channel and communicate with them on that channel. Uh, we yeah. want to – go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I definitely think we'll get into the weeds on that, um, but I, I'm going to stop you for just a second. And, sure. Um, ask, how did you, then you, you mentioned offline, you said it was fine to talk about, but your VC backed. So I'm, I'm curious, lead nurturing and automation and, and all this stuff is not new. I'm not saying it's old hat either. I don't know where we are on the spectrum, but I love the way you were kind of positioning the flavors of AI and whatnot. So I'm guessing there was some of that in, in how you were able to, to get capital, um, you know, behind this company. But if you don't mind taking us into that pitch, uh, you know, with the VCs, what, what was it that you called out relative to lead nurturing and automation that, mm -hmm. that really stuck and got them excited? Yeah. So a big part of it is, is very multifamily specific. So we all know this about multifamily is, you know, the CRMs that multifamily uses are CRMs the rest of the business world has never heard of. And all the CRMs the rest of the business world has heard of, the ones that you and I use to run our businesses are not CRMs that multifamily would ever use. So, um, you know, there is a very high barrier to entry in multifamily in the sense that they want verticalized software. They don't want to use HubSpot or Salesforce to run their property. And there's a lot of great reasons for that. So while marketing automation is not a, a new innovation by any means, and in fact, it's over a decade old, uh, it is a newer innovation in the multifamily space. And there, uh, at the time, Nurture Boss uh, threw our hat in the ring, there was not a ton of competition out there. So that was a, a real big talking point in terms of the pitch uh, when you're you're raising capital uh, to start a business. The other thing is just uh, really focusing, um, again, kind of in line with this solving a specific issue in a uh, vertical that is ripe for uh, you know disruptive technology. We've seen the explosive technology in the last five years. Um, you know, and it's going to continue to grow, I think, for at least a few more years as new uh, prop tech vendors pop up and, and enter, uh, you know, into the, the, the journey here with the rest of us. Um, but really focusing uh, on multifamily is what we do. Nurture Boss doesn't service other industries. We don't have immediate plans to service other industries. We want to focus on solving problems for multifamily and the unique issues they run into. Um, and that's kind of why we don't compete with all the other marketing automation out there in the world. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. We see it very similarly with a lot of the stuff that we're doing. We're like, yes, call analytics exists, but not specifically for multifamily. And that is the big opportunity. And frankly, a lot of these VCs or uh, the, the big tech companies just haven't prioritized multifamily because of the complexity and the barrier to entry that you mentioned. So I totally dig it. Makes sense. I'm still you know, going to push you more, not the second, but just on that uh, underlying technology, that, um, you know, those flavors of automation. Yeah. Um, one more thing I'm going to squeeze in then 
tur- uh, hand it back to David, but you were just getting started on the platforms that somebody might want to engage, you know, um, or what those preferences look like, which is all part of the personalization, not just the message, but of course the platform that you then, um, you know, follow them, if you will, um, or, or nurture them. So what does that pie chart look like? Has it changed much? Because uh, you're relatively new, but uh, since you guys started, um, as far as text versus email versus, um, you know, I guess I'll say, you know, video, I mean, just uh, share a little bit more with us, if you don't mind, um, what what that currently looks like, and if there's been any material changes since you guys have gotten started. Yeah, good question. So I'll, I'll pick video just because you you uh, mentioned that last. So we're seeing more and more uh, folks leveraging video to communicate with uh, uh, prospective renters and residents. And I do think that's something that uh, consumers want to see, uh, specifically short videos. Uh, the way that Nurture Boss um, solves that problem, if you will, is by partnering with some of the great uh, vendors out there that offer uh, these uh, video platforms and products uh, for the multifamily space. Um, what we have seen, though, is that, uh, you know, every day more and more people want to text and don't want to email. Um, now, there are a lot of rules and regulations around texting, which we take incredibly seriously. So you can't just text everybody and anybody. Uh, there is a process to get people uh, into the pipeline um, where you are able to text them. So offering email is not going away uh, anytime soon. Um, that is a channel I think that we will all need to offer for a very long time. And there will always be people that prefer that. Um, but we're certainly seeing more and more folks uh, move toward the text message side of things. Uh, web chat is another uh, channel that we can add uh, to the list that we're seeing more and more folks uh, be interested in. And very recently seen more residents being interested in that web chat side, where historically um, anyone involved in chat has always targeted prospects. Uh, and we're seeing folks uh, getting more serious about targeting re- uh, residents as well. Cool. Well, uh, maybe uh, I like that read backed up earlier. So I'll also ask about the ROI. How do you go about like when you're when you guys are making a pitch? Is this something that they're like, hey, obviously I need this, or do you guys still have to say here's the here's the here's the value it's going to provide? And you mentioned time saved earlier, so I don't know if that's yeah. a core metric. Yeah, so definitely both, right? I mean, there's folks where you get on the call and they're either drowning in leads or they're dealing with short staffed onsite teams. Or, you know, they're seeing their renewal rates drop drastically. There could be a, a key metric that has uh, altered or changed that sets up red flags at a property management company that encourages them to have phone calls with vendors like Nurture Boss, without a doubt. Um, but there's also folks that are just exploring and want to learn about new technology. And there's a more of an education piece to the sales cycle, if you will, uh, when you're, you're having that conversation. So there's a lot of different ways you can measure ROI. NOI is the, uh, you know, the the default that we all go to on, on how to measure it. And, you know, really the main way that Nurture Boss impacts NOI is by decreasing vacancy loss. Uh, if we look at our NOI uh, spreadsheet or ledger, if you will, vacancy loss is a, a big number on there. Uh, and this has changed uh, and it changes uh, with what's going on in the market. Not that long ago, um, properties were... Um, I wouldn't say eager, but they were okay with resident turnover because when that new resident came in, they were paying 30% more than the resident that just left. And that is not the world that we live in anymore, right? We're, uh, this year, we had the largest increase of supply on the market that we've seen in a lot of decades. Uh, and we're seeing rent prices uh, either flatten, 
in some markets dip down, but usually still slight increases, right? But nothing like what we were seeing a year or two ago. So all of a sudden renewal uh, is becoming much more important. So regardless if you're talking about driving renewals or if you're talking about moving leads through the lead to lease life cycle faster to keep vacant units vacant less in terms of amount of time, uh, those are, are two great ways to drive down vacancy loss and ultimately increase NOI. Um, but there are a lot of other metrics that I think are worth talking about. So if you come from the non-multifamily world, this concept of multi-touch attribution is an old concept that we all know really, really well. Uh, that is not the case in multifamily, right? Usually we're looking at how much we pay to generate a lead or we're looking at, you know, what was the lead source for the ultimate lease that was signed. But the reality is, is a lot of things happen between a lead generation and a lease being signed that impacted the success. So something like a multi-touch attribution model that looks at the different touch points that occurred along the way, which ones were meaningful and impactful, helps us paint a more complete picture of how to have a successful marketing strategy apart from what lead source should I sink more money into. That still matters, right? But that is not the whole picture. So I think that is a, another way that we talk about uh, ROI is uh, how we're having an impact along the journey uh, to help drive down marketing costs and help make data-informed decisions around where you should reinvest or double down on your marketing costs because that's an impactful moment in the lead to lease life cycle. And then the last thing I'll say on the ROI side uh, is, you know, you mentioned that time saved. So, you know, obviously if you're saving time for onsite teams, not only are you potentially reducing the need to hire more onsite team members, but you're also giving them time back to do what they do best, which is build human relationships. So that's in-person tours, that's uh, communicating with existing residents, right? This is something that truly today only the on-site team can do in terms of building those relationships. And by making it so they don't have to call 150 leads every day, uh, you're giving them back the time to do that, which does ultimately generate more revenue for the business as well. You just sparked so many questions. I saw Reed typing, <laughs> tip-tapping over here. Um, yeah, yeah so, I have 18 that I just added. So <laughs> hope that's okay. So I just want to hit uh, maybe two things real quick uh, and then – let him get in some of his 18. Um, but one is, uh, if, as far as like the, the pie chart as Reed talked about between prospects and, uh, current residents, when you, when you think about how many outreaches your system does or follow-ups or messages, however you want to call it, could you take a guess directionally? Like, is it 75% is on the prospects and 25% is on the current resident or, you know, what that looks like? Yeah, I yeah, we have that data for for certain. And it's roughly about 33 a third of our communication goes to residents. Um, that's across the board. Now, when you're at a stabilized property, uh, you see something more like uh, 60 to 70% of communication going to residents. Uh, when you're at a lease up, you see 100% going to prospects, right? So this certainly changes depending on the, the state of the community. Um, but generally speaking, I'd say about a third of our communication goes to residents and about two thirds goes to uh, prospects. That's fascinating. So then on the resident side, um, when you talk about renewals, I, that hadn't struck me as something that you guys help with, but that helps the NOI. So maybe doing what Reed did earlier, could you walk us through what, how your system might help secure renewal versus, yeah. I don't know, what, move on to a new prospect? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you talk to onsite teams today, 
um, and you ask them how they're handling renewals, very rarely do they have an automated workflow or some modern piece of technology that helps them know who's coming up for renewal, how many times they've reached out to that person for renewal, how the process is going. Uh, usually they're working out of you know an old school binder. We have our renewal binder, or they have an Excel spreadsheet saved on their desktop with folks that are coming up for renewal. So right away, you provide a ton of value by organizing that, by leveraging the integrations to know who's coming up for renewal and being able to display that in a meaningful way. The second piece of it is it lets you get way ahead of it. So, you know, do you want to reach out to someone when the renewal is coming up in 60 days or do you want to reach out when the renewal is six months away and already get them thinking about it, right? So you create that uh, ability for people to create different strategies to figure out what works and automate the process so it doesn't make more work for the onsite team in nudging those residents, letting them know that renewal is coming up. The other thing that you can do is you can identify when someone's put in notice, maybe you don't want to give up on that yet. You said, hey, we noticed you put in notice. Have you considered a transfer to a new unit? You don't have to stay in the unit that you're in, right? Or we have this sister property across the street that has some really great amenities that I think you'll love. Let's go give them a look. So it's by not giving up uh, or not uh, exploring other opportunities to excite folks about renewing is kind of the second piece of that that can really provide a ton of value. Super helpful. So my last thing here would be, uh, I'm not looking for you to like uh, slam on the competition, but who do you guys go up to typically, like if, if they're considering you guys or someone else, who is usually said in the same sentence? And then what is different about Nurture Boss or will be different, I guess, however you want to phrase it between the other options that are out there today? Because I've got my own sense of it, but would love to hear how you guys are thinking about it. Yeah. So we find that we deal with different sets of other options in terms of the prospect side and the resident side. There are products out there that focus on the resident experience, like a ResiDesk, um, that provide value there. And there are, are, are uh, companies that provide value on the prospect side um, that provide value there, like a Perk uh, or a Highly or something like that. Um, all of these are great products to provide a ton of value, right? So no concern of, of me, uh, you know, talking crap on the competition. There's uh, a lot of, of, of great products and options out there for, um, for multifamily uh, property management companies. The thing that's different, I think, is the philosophy of how you approach it. Um, for example, uh, there are products out there that act as um, safeguards of the CRM data. So, hey, the lead is going to go into our system. We're going to nurture the lead. And then when we feel the lead is ready to move on, we will put it into your CRM, right? That is one philosophical approach that works for some people. Uh, we don't think that's the right way to do it at Nurture Boss. We believe there should be a system of truth, not multiple systems of truth. So we treat the CRM as a system of truth. We want all of your data in there. You paid for the lead. I want you to be able to see it and have access to it. And we're going to work out of your CRM as the system of truth to help uh, nurture those prospective renters. And we will find a different way to highlight to you who we think is most likely to lease that doesn't involve uh, you know, hiding the lead uh, from the onsite team or the marketing team by either holding it in our system or marketing it as lost in the CRM or the other mechanisms that these folks use to kind of do that. So uh, I think the, the philosophical differences is one of the, the key things that separates us uh, from other options out there. Uh, and then we feel we have other differentiators as well. Um, the hyper-personalization, uh, which is that example where I picked on Reed and said he had a dog and wanted a two-bedroom. You know, that's a, a great example of that. Okay, to jump in. Um, 
So I'm going to take this a step further. You mentioned the philosophy is one of the things that might be different or easy, you know, distinction between you and, and some of your competitors. Does that translate to a moat? And if it doesn't, what would you say that moat looks like? So uh, maybe this will get us in a little more into the weeds of the personalization, if if that's the answer. But I just think, you know, commonly you 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 see, I'll say, um, like technology, you know, just meaning the underlying technology seems pretty similar. Um, but it is in those nuances, whether it might be, you know, the personalization, the data itself that you're gathering, um, the integrations that you hold. Um, but I'm curious, as you look a little bit further out, what do you think is going to protect you guys? You know, what does that moat yeah. really look like? And then I'll have a follow up on the personalization. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So for the moat, I feel like I'm talking to uh, my investors right now. So <laughs> for the, for the moat, you uh, are, we're just, uh, yeah. We're, I just we're, don't uh, know it yet. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. The, the moat for us is uh, really the biggest one. We have uh, what I would consider meaningful ones, but smaller ones like the hyper-personalization. The really big one for us is that from day one, we have been 100% focused on nurture. We see a lot of folks who provide uh, tangential features or products that are dipping their toes into the nurture space. So really the biggest moat for us is that I have multiple years of data, insight, analytics uh, to look at to understand how to be the best nurturer that we can be. And it's what I spend all my time thinking about, right? It consumes my, uh, my brain space from the moment I wake up until I go to bed. I eat, breathe, and sleep, lead nurture for multifamily, right? So that really is one of our biggest moats is that this is what we do. We've been doing it for a while now. And when folks kind of spread out into that space, um, it is very difficult for them to offer a product that uh, holds a candle to what Nurture Boss does just because this is all we do. Now, if Nurture Boss uh, went into their space, it'd be the same situation on their end, right? Where the product that we offered in that space would inherently have a lot of catch up to do uh, because this other company has been doing it longer, right? Um, if uh, all of a sudden we decided to get into the rent collection space where you can process your rent payments through Nurture Boss, there's a lot of great companies out there that do that, and we would have a lot of catch-up to play before we became competitive with them. Totally. You know, another one that we we see it very similar, you know, keeping that focus, laser focus. For us, maybe we've we've broadened that just a little bit, but we've stayed within predominantly multifamily. But as far as the products, I think that'll be your challenge as you, you know, hopefully keep growing and a few years from now, can you still make that argument, right? Because they're gonna want to see that that addressable market expand. Um, but as as this industry seems to inherently expand, um, you know, maybe that will that will be enough to satisfy them. So, getting back uh, to the personalization question, have you drawn some clear lines on how far you know you'll take that? My example here, you mentioned knowing that I have a dog because of maybe the application or some uh, what I put in a chat bot. Um, but I, I'm going to go even further and say, okay, well, now we can match us, that up with a Facebook profile or with a LinkedIn profile. Now we know what school you went to. Now we know you know you actually have two kids, um, you know, etc. And you can get way more uh, in depth with that personalization. So I didn't know either because of the regulations, you know, the data access or your own lines, how have you uh, kind of determined where you end on personalization? Yeah, that's a good question. So a big part of the B2B MarTech background I have is data enrichment, right? That's a pretty normal thing um, that uh, occurs in the marketing world is you enrich data so you can do a better job through third-party sources. So you can do a better job at um, leveraging that to create the best marketing message possible. So, you know, at face value, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I wouldn't blanket 
statement say we're not going to do that. Um, there are certain things to consider in multifamily like fair housing that, of course, uh, are uh, important uh, above all. And you don't want to um, you know, flirt with that line whatsoever. So there are certain things that we would not care to store or keep track of uh, so that there's a 0% chance it influences decisions that any algorithms we have may make uh, or, or marketing messages that are sent. Uh, but, um, you know, the idea to continue to enrich data from third party sources outside of what is given to us directly from the prospect or resident, I think is a fine idea. And I think is something that we do explore and will continue to explore, uh, ensuring that, you know, we just remain appropriate and within the bounds of the law. Very cool. I'm going to flip you my, I don't know if I'd call this dystopian, but it could be a bit of a creepy idea. But as I was hearing okay. you guys talk about the existing resident, you know, on the retention front, having like uh, personalized videos from like the maintenance man reminding them what a joy it was to work on their toilet, mm. you know, and then the property manager saying, hey, you remember that great conversation that we had about the big game, you know, and you just sprinkle that. It's like these very subtle, but very personalized video messages of why it's so great to live at this community. So Think on that one, Jacob. If it goes big, you, you know who to thank. Yeah, you got it. Um, <laughs> so uh, this one is also a, a bit of a VC question, I guess, but um, you probably get this or will every year. So what does success look like for Nurture Boss three years from now? And then does a BHAG rest inside of that? Um, you know, for us, it's more kind of more eight to 10 years, I think, uh, as far as our moonshot. Um, but didn't know if you could share with us. Um, yeah, what, what is uh, the big, hairy, audacious goal for, for you guys? And then um, a little color on what success looks like three years from now. Yeah, so, I mean, our vision is inherently and intentionally uh, vague in how we accomplish it, right? We talk about wanting to make the world uh, for renters, residents, and on-site teams better. And we say that we want to do that through innovation, you know, understanding, and, and common sense. And the reason that we say not through automation, not through AI, not through great marketing, because at any given point, I'm ready to get new information that shows me there's a different way to do that than how we do that today, right? So the, the BHAG for us is to help as many renters as possible find their homes and make that experience as good as humanly possible. Um, and you know, the way that we do that certainly will change uh, as, as the years go on. So as long as we remain focused and obsessed with the problem that we solve, not the solution that we've built, I'm highly confident that we're going to accomplish these goals. I think when you get obsessed with the solutions you've built, you lose sight of the problem. And uh, more importantly, you lose sight of if your solution's even relevant anymore. And that can create issues. So for us at Nurture Boss, it's about being obsessive on the problems, not the solutions. And that helps continue to drive us toward the BHAG. Cool. Back back my way. Well, I'm, I'm, I want to just ask more of a, I guess, a workflow question. But so let's say that your system is nurturing a renewal or, uh, or a current resident. But as you talked about, like uh, multi-touch attribution, there's obviously multi-channel, you know, communication. So is there, is there anything back to almost using data enrichment as you brought it up, but how, is there anything the leasing professional may get out of like the communication you've had back and forth or your systems had back and forth with the prospect, whether it's, you know, renewal or not, and how might they use that? So I could see like, um, maybe somebody doesn't know that they're engaging with, with an automated system and they're like, but I really want a dog park or whatever for my dog. And you guys don't have one. Is that somehow then brought up to leasing professional in case they call in separately? 
Yeah, good question. So there's a couple things here. The two-way integration piece of, of uh, you know, any uh, vendor in this space should involve the vendor putting information back into that source of truth that we believe should be the single source of truth, right? So the on-site team has access to that data and can make decisions accordingly. Uh, the other way that we help bring this to light is what I mentioned earlier, which is that, um, you know, we want to help highlight who those most engaged prospects are uh, or, you know, engage residents if it makes sense for the on-site team so they can focus their efforts. So, you know, if we're nurturing hundreds and hundreds of leads, we're gonna convert some of those on our own. Just straight through our nurture, they're gonna book tours and they're gonna submit applications. But there's gonna be folks where we can tell through the engagement and activity that they're taking with our messaging that they're highly likely to lease or to convert to the next milestone, but we're unable to get them there for whatever reason. We wanna share that list with the on-site team. So, uh, you know, any um, customer of Nurture Boss, their on-site team is getting an email every single day from Nurture Boss saying, hey, here's your most engaged prospects. You don't have time to call 100 people today. If you have time to call four people, call these four people because everything they're doing indicates to us that they're very likely to lease. So that ability to um, not hope that we convert everybody and just mark anyone we don't convert off is a lost cause, that ability to really highlight the engaged folks to the on-site team is something that we think is critical uh, and that we help share back. Now, you didn't really ask this, but I think it's relevant on the flip side is the on-site team is doing stuff. How does our system be aware of that so that we don't do something that doesn't make sense for what they're doing? So this may be a uh, read for you and your investor had a, a differentiator or a moat for us uh, is that we have a functionality we call follow-up aware. And what that means is that just because of that two-way integration, we're putting data in, we're taking data out. And if I see that the prospect just emailed the on-site team an hour ago, I'm not going to send some automated follow-up message to the prospect because they're going to say, I just asked you about the dog park and I haven't gotten an answer back yet, right? So why are you telling me to come in and schedule a tour? So our follow-up aware feature makes sure that our automated system is also aware of what is happening manually so that we don't create a disconnected experience for the prospect or the on-site team. And we really make sure that we're making as smooth and cohesive an experience as possible. Yeah, I like it. I appreciate uh, you tacking that on. Well, uh, you mentioned earlier disruptive technology and uh, how you know apartments are behind and blah, blah, blah. I I'm wondering if you could speak to some of the risks, well, both and the rewards of, of automation, of, of um, you know automated communication. I mean, everyone's with OpenAI and Bard and all these other options, all these t all these companies are running towards it. But then you have some folks that are like, you know, very cautionary. It's like AI is going to. You either believe that you know Terminator is going to happen, or like everything's blissful. So if you if you could speak to both both sides of that and and how you're thinking about it. Yeah, sure. Well, I think you know let's let's give an example here. Um, something that humans are great at that AI is not great at is uh, context recall. So right now, David, you can make a statement that references something we said in the first five minutes of the call. And right away, I'm going to remember that. Oh, he's referring that thing from however long ago, right? That's something AI is incredibly bad at. Um, it is really hard for AI. They're going to take what you say in a black box and address it and not realize you may be uh, doubling down on something you said earlier or, or making a callback to something you said earlier. So, um, you know, that's one of, of many examples of, of issues where AI is way behind the curve. So we are nowhere near the point of not needing people, you know. So I think the risk that we have right now is doing a bad job at identifying when we need that person 
and making sure that the person is there to handle that situation. The risk is that AI is saying, I couldn't convert this lead because they're not interested. When the reality is, is you couldn't convert that lead because they needed to talk to a person and they weren't able to, or you weren't able to identify that you should put them in touch with the person. So you missed that opportunity, right? So for me, that is the biggest risk. Um, and there are certain things at Nurture Boss that we just do not do because we think it is too risky for that exact reason, where we will always give it to an individual to handle uh, because we know that the opportunity cost there just doesn't make sense for us to try to automate it. Great, great response. So then uh, we didn't ask you, your, you brought up philosophies earlier. Do, do you philosophically or does Nurture Boss believe that the uh, prospect should know that they're work, talking to a bot or should, should they not know they're talking to a bot? Yeah, so we take the approach that they should know that they're talking to a bot. Um, and, you know, we think that until uh, things are more fluid, that makes a lot of sense to do. Um, I don't, uh, that's not a hill I'm prepared to die on. If you got a strong reason why you think, uh, you know, they shouldn't know they're talking to a bot, I'm all ears and I'm sure you could convince me. Uh, but that's definitely a decision that, that we've made at Nurture Boss. And I think, too, it's important worth noting that um, uh, automated follow up is not uh, a bot. And that is not AI, right? That is a strategy in which you get follow-ups to a prospective renter or a resident in an automated fashion that may or may not ever involve that person communicating with a bot, right? So yeah. I have to ask very quickly. So do you think you mentioned there are no like lines that you're just saying we won't go there as far as personalization? If you found out that the name of that prospect's kid was Sam, would you turn that into the name of the bot? Yeah, good question. No, <laughs> that's a line I'm happy to draw. We uh, we explicitly go way out of our way to ensure we never store uh, data around minors because that data is available uh, in case you know we didn't know uh, in the property management systems. Uh, and we have a lot of uh, uh, time and energy that's gone into ensuring that doesn't live in our database anywhere. So I'm happy to draw that line for you, Reed. Sorry, but he, he does look up pets that you've lost and is like, hello, this is Fido. Okay. I really think you should <laughs> yeah, live at this yeah. apartment. So the dog, I would have loved it. The dogs are fair game, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, have a little fun. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, last thing, I guess, a track I want to take on that is, uh, would you speak then to the maybe... We've gotten a little bit of the past, but just walk us through a past, present, future when it comes to these. Because you mentioned it's not AI, it's not a bot. And I, you know, three years ago, I was very hell-bent on this podcast of like getting getting underneath it with people and being like, well, is this really machine learning or is this really AI? Or is this? And now I'm kind of like past like trying to fight that fight. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I just like liberally use the word bot, but I totally appreciate where you're coming from. So talk us through a little bit of the past, present, future. Um, I guess with both the, uh, this, well, let's stick on automated communication. Yeah. Yeah. Love to. And, and just to, you know, we, we don't have to get too in the weeds here, but we have uh, uh, components of machine learning that make up our automation uh, and components of AI that make up our automation. Quick, easy example. We have machine learning that powers our send time optimization. This is where we take data to understand uh, what is the best possible day and time to send a message to get the highest engagement. That is very squarely and the clearly defined box of machine learning. And that is something that our automation leverages to be more successful, right? So there are components in it without a doubt. I think the uh, original old version of automation was what we now would call like a drip campaign. That's where it's like, hey, these messages are going to go out at these date and times, no matter what. Maybe there's triggers or flags that stop 
the message. So if somebody replies, they don't get another message. That's pretty common in a automated sequence of a drip campaign. So that's kind of the old school automation. And that's not what we do uh, in Nurture Boss, right? Um, the uh, kind of uh, today version of it, if you will, is that we have the start of what we uh, a perfect happy path scenario of the automated follow-up sequence cadence and what it would look like. And then there are a lot of uh, things that can occur that adjust that. So follow-up aware was something we brought up. We may slow down and not send a message because we can tell the on-site team is actively engaged with that prospect. Uh, our send time optimization may tell us to actually send it faster uh, or slower, meaning sooner or later uh, than we were going to send it because we see that we're going to get better results. We may, along the way, get new information um, about the prospective renter or resident that will alter the actual message that is sent, right? In real time, that content is dynamic and will change based on the changing preferences of the prospect or the renter. So these are examples of modern, uh, really cool things that we do with automation. I think what the future looks like and what things will move and change toward is becoming more multi-channel. So not do you prefer to text, do you prefer to email, I'll do the one you prefer, but hey, I know that on this day uh, in time, it'd be better to shoot you a text. On this day in time, it'd be better to send you an email. So this multi-omni-channel approach, I think, is something that we're moving toward where it fluctuates between the two. I think also shaping this so that we start to learn where I have a renter that looked a lot like you. Look meaning data, right? They wanted the same number of uh, bedrooms as you did. Uh, they had the same budget and range as you did. They had a similar uh, urgency around moving that you did. Uh, and I know this strategy worked well for them. So I'm going to implement that strategy for you, right? Kind of a just a level up, if you will, of making even more data informed decisions and data driven decisions so that things become even more dynamic uh, and even more adaptive uh, to every individual uh, who's going through the journey. Yeah, I dig it. And uh, back to the Terminator versus, um, um, I don't know, blissful existence. Sure. Um, I, th I feel like uh, Reed mentioned earlier that there wasn't as much investment in prop tech as, uh, as other categories. And some of that was, was uh, because of TAM, just total addressable market for, for our audience. But sure. um, th then over the last two years, they did get really more interested in prop tech. Um, however, I've started to hear... Um, uh, just the conversations I've had, there have been more sentiments about like, well, now I don't need to specialize in a niche when I'm investing because AI is just going to solve this problem for everybody across the board. And so like, whereas before we had to get really specific and niche to down with our technology, it'll be, you know, there's going to be like the silver bullet that comes in and solves all. And so now they're investing in these like back to more like an AGI or generalized AI um, that, that can sort of tackle multiple industries. Just curious because you're more of the engineer here and I can italicize your your uh, comments afterwards but what do you uh, yeah. you know what's your take on it yeah that's a good question um uh, i think the first take i have on this is that ai has made leaps and bounds of progress in the last five years um i would argue that ai has not made as many leaps and bounds in the last five months as everyone thinks it has what has happened is that chat gpt went viral um so what that means is that everybody became aware of where ai has been for some time now. Um, I think that whether you know it or not, AI is all over your life uh, doing all kinds of things for you, whether it be routing you on Google Maps to go around a crash or giving you a recommendation on Netflix, you know, the list goes on and on. So 
while for the layman, AI, it just hit us like, you know, a, a comet from space out of nowhere. It's been here for a while. We've been leveraging it for a while. All of the great AI uh, companies and multifamily have been using some flavor of OpenAI, the parent company of, of ChatGPT, for over a year, I'm sure, right? Maybe years. Um, but it really hit us in a viral, uh, you know, TikTok kind of a, a sweep of the nation way. So we're talking about it a lot right now, which which is great and, and which is awesome. But um, I don't think that all of a sudden it is solving problems it wasn't solving six months ago, uh, if, if that makes sense. Um, but to answer your other question around investors and, and what I think people will do, I mean, the dirty secret here is that uh, investors are just some of the biggest FOMO or fear of missing out, right? The biggest FOMO groups of people in the world. And if there's a trend and there's a buzz, they're going to put money into it. And right now that is AI. So we will see money invested in it. I do not think that is a good indicator that that's what the future is going to be. Um, I'm a little bullish on uh, uh, niche products. I think that somebody that builds an automated messaging system for apartments is going to perform better than the general message uh, system used by an apartment. Um, so I think that there will always be a need for verticalized or niche solutions. I don't think that AI is, uh, in the next uh, few years at least, going to get rid of that need. Yeah, I, I dig it. So basically, within five years, it's not that um, Google's Bard is going to come in and take take over Nurture Boss and you know Perk and all the other jobs. Uh, you're still gonna there's still going to be a uh, need for. You know, specific applications. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And my my analogy for that for the listeners would be just look at Excel. Like you you had the spreadsheet that came out, uh, but yet you um that just one open system meaning Excel doesn't solve for all of these other niche industries. So like Digible uses uh, uh mosaic for a lot of our financial reporting. You still have all of these very niche like uh, systems that companies end up using that are basically a glorified Excel sheet uh, that just does things in a slightly representate. It just represents the UI differently or the experience differently or has an integration that's slightly different. So yes, you can have one thing that could kind of like brute force solve everything, but it historically uh, to your point, Jacob, it hasn't taken over and there's still a need to personalize it. Yeah. And the irony, I guess, just to add really quick is the way that you make your, your um, you know, your specific AI uh, model effective for your use case is you create a training set, a data set, a model that is unique to your use case, right? So like even today, the way you make AI better at what you want it to do is you give it a niche to focus on, right? So like that alone is a great indicator of, of uh, how that will continue to be the most effective way to be successful. So I don't know if I have any questions that aren't going to sound investor-ish, um, okay. but uh, I want to get into the cost model if you're yeah. willing to. Um, and I, I should start by saying, are you, your sales team, are they starting with the operator or they start with the marketer? I could see both of them potentially being, you know, just a little bit different, maybe conversation or paths, but who would you say is your primary, um, you know, persona or, or target persona? Yeah, both. Without a doubt, both. If you want me to pick one, I'll go ahead and pick the marketer. But um, I mean, it is it is uh, unequivocally both. Now, w one of my other like hot takes here, I guess, if you will, is that I believe the line between marketing and operations is in the wrong spot. I think that marketing needs to get way more involved in the operations side of things. Um, for example, if we look at residences renewal leads, 
uh, who do we trust to handle our leads? Marketing, right? So why is marketing not involved in helping to build out the resident life cycle? So um, my hope is that we see uh, the line between marketing and operations becoming less rigid, more blurred, and a lot more overlap. And I am certain that will uh, equate more success for property management companies. So I hope in the future, when you ask me that question, Reed, uh, everybody knows it doesn't matter what you talk to because they work so closely together and they overlap so much uh, that, uh, you know, obviously you need to have relationships with both. I don't think I've posted on my Facebook page in eight years, but I may want to cut that answer out and actually put it on <laughs> my Facebook page. I, 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 I love it. We're actually having a session at our digital summit, which I don't know if David mentioned to you, but it's here in about uh, four weeks now, something like that, five, six weeks. Either way, it's about combining forces with marketers and operators. So we very deliberately Great. found a marketer that also is my nail polish coming through. Oh, yeah. I was going to hit that yeah. light. I have, uh, yeah, you're going to hit that later. <laughs> I have three daughters. Jacob uh, took them to a Barbie movie party. And my wife and all these girls, there's like 20 of them under the age of 13. They're all wearing yeah. like these pink skirts and white tops. And or, what are we going to do with that? You know, so I was like, all right, I'm volunteering my my fingernails. And I you also even got that, it, the accent <laughs> nail going on, which I love. Yeah, that's right. She was like, I'm putting the pink on the fourth. So I'm glad yeah. you noticed that. That's the kind yeah. of thing I wouldn't. But anyways, uh, God, that just threw myself off as far as where I was. Oh, cost model. Yeah. And you, uh, so back to marketing or operator. Um, so knowing that it could be either or, and let's hope, like you said, that it's blurred and it could be both someday. Um, what does the cost model look like and how did you arrive on it? David and I have, uh, it's a, it's a fun spirited conversation, not meaning that we're on, uh, opposite sides, but just for us, um, and I think it's critical for any, you know, tech company, um, certainly in this industry, I feel like in particular, they're getting hit with just countless startups saying, Hey, for just 99 bucks a month or just yeah. for 50 cents a door, you know, right. you can add this transformative tech and it just piles up. And what we heard pretty early was I you know, I have to choose. Like, I can't just, just because you think it's affordable, you know, that I could test this and then roll it out. So I'm wondering, yeah, what does the cost model look like? And and what kind of, uh, I guess, research, how did you arrive uh, at, at that cost model? Yeah, I mean, trial and error is how you arrive at it, I guess, right? Um, we've definitely tried a little bit of everything when we were first getting started. Our cost model today is a flat rate per property uh, that is tiered in a couple ways, tiered in a way where if we have more properties within a portfolio, the price per property goes down. Or if it is a small enough, let's call it, you know, I'm not in, uh, in charge of sales here, so I don't want my VP of business development to yell at me. But let's say under 75 units, uh, we'll drop the price down because it's a smaller property, right? So, um, and other than that, it's a flat rate. There's no setup fee. Uh, we don't um, a la carte our product. If you have Nurture Boss, you have all a Nurture Boss. Um, and the reasons that we do it like this is, is twofold. One is it makes it really easy for our customer to know what they're going to pay every month, what they get for it. Um, and there's no uh, question there, right? There's no um, calculations to do or decisions to make around what, pro you know, what features of the product you want to take advantage of. On my end, uh, selfishly, it's easier for me to forecast my revenue if uh, I'm charging a flat rate. Um, when you're charging a per unit, um, inevitably, you're going to have properties that you lose money on and you're going to have properties that are paying a crazy amount because they're over 500 units or something like that, right? Um, and I'd rather not put myself or my customers in that position. We're all happier if it's a dollar amount that we understand. It's easy to look at and, 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 and calculate around. Um, so that's definitely uh, where we've landed and, and where we'll stick. Cool. 
Um, two follow-ups on that. So what does it sound like when you're setting expectations? Like somebody's like, okay, I think I can get this passed through for some sort of test. Um, what should I expect in the first 30 days or is it the first 90 days? Like help me orient with kind of timeline before I can prove this out and then potentially scale it. Yeah. So one of the great things about Nurture Boss is the time to value is we're talking hours or days, not weeks and months. So if you enable Nurture Boss at a property and you turn it on and we start automating outreach uh, and messages, you're going to see an impact right away. You're going to notice an increase of, of activity. You're going to start getting those engaged prospect emails with folks who we've already identified are more likely to lease. So uh, we're really excited about the, the speed of the time to value. In terms of, of measurement, you know, we definitely don't ever want to measure for less than 90 days. Six months makes us much more comfortable. And we never want to measure at a single property. A single property could have a million reasons and nuances that it does really well or it doesn't do well, right? So in our perfect world, we have a handful of properties across several markets for six months. And that's how we're gauging the success. And the gauging of that success is pretty standard, right? Are we seeing more tours, uh, lead to tour conversion increase? Are we seeing a tour to application increase? Are we seeing the on-site team spending less time doing follow-ups? Are we seeing an increase in resident satisfaction, on-time rent payments, lease renewals, right? So um, you know, we want to measure all the, the areas that we're touching. We want to see those numbers go up and to the right. We want to make sure we give ourselves enough time to have that impact. Makes total sense. I saw David writing a couple things down, so I'll I'll let him go here after this question. Uh, but then I want to come back because you picked something. Um, you picked a really fun question for me uh, related to the nurturing of potentially multiple properties. Um, you didn't say that, but I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, where does the budget come from, Jacob? So uh, what I mean here is if I'm if I am selling for you guys, am I saying, hey, you know, you should be just pulling this from your paid media? Those aren't efficient dollars. If you just spent money here, you'd easily be able to afford it, um, and it's a better use of your dollars. Or am I competing more switch costs, like you know, some sort of existing tech that you know we're superior, or am I just uh, fighting with? new tech that's coming on. It's like, hey, you have a budget for innovation, for testing, and that's really what you should tap into. <clears throat> so just helping them kind of figure out where to pull that budget from. Because as I said, we all know they can't just keep stacking. So it's right. got to come from somewhere. So I was just curious, where, do, where does your sales team typically point? Yeah. So the answer for the examples you gave is yes, right? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend, but, but all the things. I think that um, you know, we have replaced other products before because we've offered something superior. We have added to folks that aren't leveraging any sort of technology like that. Um, one of the benefits of, of providing value from the lead to lease and lease to renewal lifecycle is we have customers that put us in the retention budget, the resident retention budget, right? That's not uh, unheard of for us. Um, we've had folks who have been able to cut down their ILS spend and pull from the ILS budget to pay for lead nurture uh, because it is converting more leads, so they need less leads. And then most commonly, we probably just fall in the general marketing bucket, right? Um, but there's certainly a lot of uh, uh, options there, um, and it looks different for different customers. Uh, and as I mentioned, can even live on the resident side of things. Cool. Well, why don't you ask your other question? Mine's All right. It's pretty hard. quick. Um, David's heard this a few times. I think it was when we had me to lease on that it, it hit me first. Um, but just uh, that these chatbots, so I'll just stay, stay with them, these leasing AI agents, um, they only are focused on that property, which isn't the best experience, in my opinion, for a prospect. So I'm now shopping multiple properties. I come on there and you're just trying to sell me into that property. Wouldn't it be great if they were you know, Switzerland, more agnostic, or like, hey, based on what you said, this may not be the right property for you, but I can recommend another property. So AI leasing agents right now don't 
you know, as you talked about context recall and kind of some of the limits, this is a self-imposed limit, I think you see, because you don't want sister properties competing with each other. At least that's what we hear all the time. How does that apply for Nurture Boss? Uh, meaning, yeah. you know, we just don't have inventory, but hey, the property down the street who also is owned by property management company, whatever, has av- availability. So have you guys crossed that bridge yet? Yeah, absolutely. We have a great question. And you just said it at the end there. The, the thread that has to exist in order for us to be able to do this is the owner of the building, right? Obviously leveraging the same property management company as well. But um, that's that's the thread here. That's when it's okay for uh, sometimes sister properties to compete. So we've had customers where they're fully occupied um, and we implement uh, what we call our waitlist automation, but it was reshaped for them to say, hey, look at this sister property automation, if you will, uh, because they were fully occupied. We've had uh, situations where folks put in their notice. I touched on this earlier. They put in their notice. We'll try to get them into tour the sister property. Uh, you know, if you're if you're dead set on moving out, check out this other great property, very close by, you know, wonderful amenities, that sort of a thing. So this, you know, it's a version of centralization. There's no good definition for centralization out there. We all know that, but this is a version of it. And it's something that we've accommodated for customers uh, without a doubt. Very cool. Well, you already gave us, uh, I think, three hot takes as, I, as I'm uh, going to go ahead and gold star them. Uh, Jacob, are there any other uh, things that you would classify as a hot take? That's a good question. Um, I kind of, I guess I, I, I really spoiled my big one already, which is something I put a lot of time thinking about and, and spending uh, uh, time thinking on is um, this, this line between marketing and operations, right? It needs to be very blurry. I want to blur the heck out of it, right? And I want to move the marketing one more into the operations one because uh, at the end of the day, what we're creating for prospects and residents is an experience. And by creating a great experience, we get great results. That means more tours, more applications, more leases, more renewals, more rent paid on time, more online reviews, right? It goes on and on. So um, we need to take that marketing mindset. We need to market to our customers and our prospective customers. And at the end of the day, that's going to get us the best results. Um, and, you know, companies like Nurture Boss can help with that. Uh, but it's sometimes we have to twist our customers' arm to get them to let us automate communication with their residents, right? Because it just doesn't click in their head that that marketing product can provide value there. So really, if, if I can pick something to, to spend time on, it'd be that. Yeah, well, and our audience has heard us talk about many times how even on the operations side, often they'll be like, we need more leases. And so operators will green light more concessions. And then marketers will say like, we need more leases and they green light more budget. And if do you really need to pull both rip cords, you know, break both in case of emergency glass jars or whatever, or maybe just one of them or half of each or whatever. Um, uh, so I, we totally agree with you on uh, more of the blurred lines, but it goes it goes both ways. So marketing should definitely get folded in more frequently as you're talking yeah. about, but then operations should seek you know, to collaborate with marketing more as well. Agreed, yeah. Anything else? My, well, I do have, my last question is from two founders to, to, one, to another or however I'm supposed to say that. Um, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think w- what keeps me up at night is the unknown. I think what we what we learn as founders is that we're capable of a lot and we can handle a lot. And um, you know, situations that I've dealt with that I thought were bad that turned out okay, and things I thought were good that turned out bad, those don't keep me up because if I run into them again, I know what to do. Uh, what keeps me up at night is the thing I haven't ran into yet. You know what I mean? Whatever that might be and figuring out how to handle it. And 
being a founder is a unique situation. When you're nervous and things aren't going well, you're not allowed to tell anybody. You can't tell your employees because your job is to uh, be brave and be a cheerleader. You can't tell your investors because your job is to look like you know what you're doing. You can talk to your significant other about it, but they haven't started and ran a business. So it's hard to kind of connect on that. So uh, it's a lonely place to be, right? To be candid. Um, and uh, the worrying about the unknown is uh, what makes it that way, I think. Um, and that's probably the, the thing that keeps me up at night. Very well handled uh, as as you have been throughout. I, I would almost say the opposite. I don't know about you, but I'm going to put you on the spot. But for me, it's it's all the things I do know about that worry me. <laughs> that maybe we haven't solved for or are just disturbing to me versus the unknown is where I actually get my peace of mind. It's like, I'm not going to be bothered with, with something that uh, right now I'm, I'm not threatened by or aware of. So what, what keeps you up at night? Well, first, do you think that was different for you? Meaning like in the early days when you, when we were three years in, was there more of this? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I probably would have framed it a little bit more like Jacob, like in the first few years where yeah. it's like, I don't know what the hell we're doing. You know, there's just so many things that could go wrong or I just don't know about um, versus once you build out a company and, you know, at least for us, the size that we're at, the longevity now that we've built up, um, you, things just start popping up and you have to try to draw some lines. David and I talk about all the time. It's like that no longer is allowed for our headspace. You know, we can't worry about that. Um, you know, it's not just dollars. Sometimes it's also just the size of the problem or potential size of the problem um, as well as the opportunities. Cause that's another thing that keeps me up in a good way where it's like, I can't wait to go after that and I just can't turn off my mind. But mm-hmm. what about you? I, in the early days, I think it was more the unknown for me. Uh, and, but there were certain categories of unknown. It wasn't just the blatant unknown. It would be like, shoot, I don't know how our frontline managers are handling coaching and development or one-on-ones or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I, mine is more around, I guess like shared vision and pace, like amongst the executive team. So does everyone agree, even though we set our annual goals and we meet every quarter, it still sometimes feels like we're all, we're not all aligned. And so, um, that, um, you know, lockstep alignment is what keeps me up more, uh, than anything at this point is just, you know, not wanting to get too far off track. And I think in the beginning it was more of, because it's like, Hey, it's you and me. And as long as you and me are are aligned, then, it's cool. But now that we're trying to give people so much autonomy and like really ownership of their domain, it's, well, now we got to make sure they're on board because it's not just the David and Reed show anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's that, that alignment. Totally. But Jacob, if you can't tell, like this is that safe space where you're allowed to tell everybody uh, where you're peeing your pants. So yeah. you know, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I covered it. I feel like I've covered it well. So appreciate yeah. the invitation. Though. <laughs> <laughs> David David is a, a relatively new dad, so you know he's using the word pee and peeing the pants like analogies, all, would, among yeah. many other things. I he would, was doing dad jokes before he, you know, they even got pregnant. But yeah. I think it's just going to get worse or or better. I don't know. I was watching this new, um, what is it, Painkillers on Netflix about the opioid pandemic, and yeah. one of the guys spills pee on himself, and he acts like it's such a big deal. I'm like. Doesn't seem like such a big deal to me. Yeah, I've got <laughs> Not anymore. Hitting me. Not anymore. <laughs> and, and with the sun, you got to be ready to duck. You know, I, I didn't have that problem with, with girls when I would change diapers. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, uh, we managed to, to put a awkward cherry on this, uh, I love it. conversation I love with it. you. Uh, but it's Jacob, yeah, this, it, definitely, uh, really appreciate all the candor and, you know, bobbing and weaving with all those, uh, those tough questions. Um, but yeah, I, I think this was, a really fun one. Yeah. Reed's yeah. going to email your investors after and said that you got a passing grade. So 
Yeah. Oh, thank is there is there room for more? Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. Right, Jacob, if people want to learn more about Nurture Boss or get in touch with you or your team, what's the best way? Yeah, I think uh, website and LinkedIn. So nurtureboss.io for the website, and then just find and follow us on LinkedIn. I try to be pretty active and. Uh, we have some great content, blog articles, things like that. Um, and we'd love if everyone poked around and see if anything looks interesting. Cool. Well, thank you, Jacob. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah.